Welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy with our host, Steve Butler. On today's program, our series entitled, The Second Coming Versus the Rapture, as he opens God's Word to study the difference between the rapture and the second coming. It's time to explore Bible prophecy. Hello and welcome again to Exploring Bible Prophecy. In today's program, we're going to pick up where we left off uh, in our last program, and that's on our worksheet, our handout on the differences between the rapture of the church and the second coming, and that's at point number four. So if you have a copy of the worksheet, um, please reference that, because as you know, we go through a lot of scriptures, and those are all listed uh, in the worksheet at each of the points that we reference And, of course, that worksheet, if you're new with us, is available at the uh, website of the radio station, whcbradio.org, whcbradio.org, and it's at Exploring Bible Prophecy. So, again, we're at point number four, and we have completed over the last several uh, episodes or programs the um, point number four that has to do with the rapture of the church, and the forever aspect of being with the Lord uh, at the point of the rapture forward into eternity. And then in point number four, under the second coming, we have been uh, more recently talking about Jesus coming back, uh, setting his feet on the Mount of Olives, as had been uh, talked about in Acts chapter 1, and was talked about 400-plus years before that in Zechariah 14, and how he would bring judgment to the earth, John 14, or excuse me, John 5, uh, 22, talking about God giving Jesus all the judgments uh, to um, be the judge in all the judgments. And then, of course, in verse 27 of John 5, as you recall, we talked about uh, Jesus coming back as the Son of Man to judge mankind for its uh, wickedness uh, and deceitful heart. Whereas uh, earlier in the uh, John 5 passage, it talked about Jesus coming as the Son of God at the rapture to bring blessing and to bring rewards for what we as Christians did on this earth with with the gifts of the Spirit that we had been given during our lifetime. And of course, that's a judgment without regard to sin. Then uh, we moved into the judgments, uh, specifically looking at Joel And if you would, I'd like very quickly to go there by way of just review because it's such a rich um, set of passages there in Joel. And you'll recall in your Bible that Joel is one of the minor prophets. So if you go in your Bible to roughly Isaiah, find Jeremiah, and keep going to the right through uh, Lamentations, another of Jeremiah's books, and then you get to um, Ezekiel and then to Daniel. And of course, Jeremiah, Daniel, and Ezekiel were all contemporaries during the Babylonian captivity back in the 1590-1580s uh, uh, B.C. And you get to uh, Daniel, and as soon as you get to Daniel, you move right into the minor prophets, the first one being Hosea, and Joel is next. So if you'll find Joel in your uh, Bible, and then go to uh, Joel chapter 2, and it talks, and I'm not going to read these for the sake of time because we want to we wanna get into the... Um, lesson for today, uh, which has to do with the millennial kingdom and the peace that Jesus brings. But before that, he brings judgment. And in uh, Joel chapter 2, looking at uh, verse 1, it talks about, let the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. 
And the day of the Lord is a period of time that begins in the tribulation and goes forward from there. Uh, so it's inclusive of the of the tribulation period, and that's the point to be made here, that it is, uh, verse 2, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, and the dawn is spread over the mountains. So there is great, uh, great and mighty people. There has never been anything like it, nor will there be again after it uh, to the years of many generations. So this is a terrible time that is... Um, come upon the earth because the Lord has come back to judge mankind for its refusal to accept his free gift of eternal life through believing in his death, burial, and resurrection, and that he is the Son of God. So this is a terrible time. And then it gets very specific, and it's one of the great um, great prophecies uh, of Joel, of the Bible, and of course, Joel writing and uh, speaking through the um, leading of the Holy Spirit here, and he was writing 800 years before Jesus even came to the earth, and then it's 2,000 years after that that brings us to today. And in Joel chapter 3, looking at verses 1 and 2, it talks about in those days and at that time, when I, Jesus, restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations. So this is telling you that as we have um, read in Zechariah and other places, all the nations of the earth are gathered together in Israel at um, a place called Armageddon, and then they move from there. The battle is actually not in the place called Armageddon. It's actually in Jerusalem, but they're marshaled in Armageddon. It's a great and wide valley uh, north and west of Jerusalem. And then the armies move towards Jerusalem, and of course, Jesus comes at a second coming to fight against them and to judge them and to punish them uh, at his second coming. And in verse um, Joel chapter 3, in verse 2, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And of course, Jehoshaphat in Hebrew is God judges. Then I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my inheritance, Israel. And we talked about that um, uh, last time as um, the point that his judgments, when he comes back, are on behalf of and in defense of his people, his inheritance, Israel. Not the United States or any other country, but Israel. And what he judges them for, he makes very specific whom they have scattered among the nations, and they have divided up my land. And, of course, we can see very much today, it literally in the news of the past week or month, where we have issues about land in uh, the nation of Israel. And that's been an ongoing issue. And the uh, basically the sub and, sum and substance of the wars that have been taking place in Israel since it declared itself a nation back in 1948. So we see the the judgments that have taken place in Joel, and then um, in our last program, we talked about uh, beginning to talk about the peace that he brings and the kingdom that he is uh, going to set up in the world. So if we could, let's go to Zechariah. Let's go to Zechariah. So if you're in Joel and the Minor Prophets, Zechariah is one of the Minor Prophets as well. And again, minor meaning small, not in uh, impact and, and importance, but merely because they are short, usually just a few chapters long. Um, in this case, Zechariah, we're looking at Zechariah chapter 2. 
And I want to read all of Zechariah 2 because it is um, of such uh, import here. And it, it talks, it shows you the love that God has for his wife, Israel. And of course, we established the point that Israel is the wife of God way back in one of our first programs in this series that um, we see that love being expressed here and how he is going to protect her and um, bring her back into preeminence in the world uh, following the second coming and the setting up of Christ's millennial kingdom. So in Zechariah chapter 2, starting at verse 1, it says, Then I lifted up my eyes, and this is Zechariah talking under the uh, influence of the Holy Spirit. Then I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a man with a measuring line in his hand. So I said, where are you going? And he said to me, to measure Jerusalem, to see how wide it is and how long it is. And behold, the angel who was speaking with me was going out, and another angel was coming out to meet him, and said to him, run, speak to that young man, saying, Jerusalem will be inhabited without walls because of the multitude of men and cattle within it. For I, verse 5, for I, declares the Lord, will be a wall of fire around her, and I will be the glory in her midst. Ho there, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord, for I have dispersed you as the four winds of heaven, declares the Lord. Ho Zion, escape you who are living with the daughter of Babylon. For thus says the Lord of hosts, after glory... He has sent me against the nations which plunder you. For he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. For behold, I will wave my hand over them so that they will be plunder for their slaves. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Sing for joy and be glad, O daughter of Zion. For behold, I am coming and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. Many nations will join themselves to the Lord in that day and will become my people. Then I will dwell in your midst, and you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. The Lord will possess Judah as his portion in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he is aroused from his holy habitation." So there's so much to um, consider and to unpack in this short 13 verses of Zechariah chapter 2. But we want to look at the fact uh, early on here in, uh, for instance, in verse 5, it says, For I, declares the Lord, will be a wall of fire around her, and I will be the glory in her midst. And let's remember that the glory of the Lord departed from the temple Way back in, in Zechariah, I believe it's Zechariah chapter 11. In fact, we'll do a, a series on the glory of the Lord um, in, as part of the um, Exploring Bible Prophecy program. But the glory of the Lord left the temple, and that would have been back about 590, roughly 590 B.C., just before the temple was totally destroyed by the Romans. Or excuse me, uh, was destroyed by the Babylonians. In uh, 586, that was the total destruction. But before that, uh, Zechariah goes into some detail to describe about the glory of the Lord, the presence of God in the temple, got up and left 
by the gate facing east, in other words, facing the Mount of Olives, and went over to the Mount of Olives and lifted up and has not been back in the temple of God since that time, since about 590 B.C. So even when the temple was rebuilt, uh, starting about oh, 20 years or so before Christ and then up through 70 A.D., that beautiful temple that was destroyed by the Romans in 70 A.D., at no time was the glory of the Lord in that temple except when Jesus Christ was teaching in it. That's the only time the glory was there. And the reason the glory was not there is because the heart of the people for God was not in the temple. They were worshiping the building and not the builder. They were worshiping the created rather than the creator. So God's presence has not been physically in the temple. And of course, there is no temple now. And going forward, when they build the third temple uh, during the tribulation, the glory of the Lord will not be there as well. Not until Jesus comes back at his second coming and sets up his glorious um, throne, uh, as it uh, talks about in, in Matthew 25, when he sits on his glorious throne, then and only then will the glory of the Lord be back in the temple in Jerusalem, ruling and reigning as King of kings and Lord of lords. But at this point in time, back in Zechariah chapter 2, he's talking about the second coming. We're, we're talking about a yet future event, and that's been the purpose of point number four here. It's the second coming and the setting up of his kingdom. And it's talking about how I will be a fire around her and I will be the glory in her midst. So the glory of the Lord has come back. And he's um, then talking about the Israelites to flee from the north in verse 6, which is the, uh, the major route for uh, Europe and Asia to come back into uh, Jerusalem, come back into Israel would be generally from the north. That's the, the major trade route, uh, east, uh, north and south. And then it says, O Zion, escape you who are living uh, with the daughter of Babylon. And that, that can be a specific reference to Babylon. And we know that there are still many Jews that have never left um, that part of Iraq, which is the second most mentioned country in the Bible after Israel, interestingly enough. It's known by different names, but geographically it's Iraq. That um, basically it can mean that and it also mean coming back from the world. But the point is, uh, in in 6 and 7 of Zechariah chapter 2, is that the Lord is calling his people back. And um, we know, for instance, in Matthew 24, and I believe it's verse 31, it says um, in the New Testament that when Jesus comes back at his second coming, that he will send his angels out to the four corners of the earth to bring all of the Jews back. All of the Jews will be brought back, judged, and then those that are counted as righteous, by Jesus uh, at that judgment of Israel will enter the land of Israel in the millennial kingdom. And that is why Romans chapter 11, verse 26 says, all Israel will be saved. At that point in time, after the judgment of Israel by Jesus at his second coming, only the righteous uh, identified as so by Jesus will be allowed to enter the land of Israel. So at that point, all Israel will be saved. And then as we move on here, verse 8 is one of those beautiful verses where it talks about God's love for his people. It says, after glory, he has sent me against the nations which plunder you. 
for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. And that's how God thinks of his um, wife, Israel. That's what he thinks of his chosen people, his elect people, is that they are the apple of his eye. And another point to be uh, considered in Zechariah 2, verse 8, it says, um, the Lord of hosts says, after glory, after glory. Well, when is the glory at the second coming? We've been talking about that um, over various programs here in this series. The glory of the Lord will appear on the earth at his second coming. He comes back and he stands on the Mount of Olives. And of course, we come back with him as the church. The angels are with him in their fiery glory, and he reveals himself, and he reveals his wife, the church, with him in glory. And then once he steps there, he goes to battle against the nations. So we see that uh, being prophesied 450 years before Christ, 2,400 years ago, that after the glory, after his appearance at his second coming, he will go against the nations which have plundered you. And, of course, that's the point. They've been scattered around the world. They've been plundered. Uh, the Israelites, the Jews, have been mistreated for millennia uh, by the Gentiles of the world. But he's saying those that have touched you have touched the apple of his eye, and that angers him the way they have treated um, the Jews, God's people. And he says that uh, they are to sing for joy, to sing for gladness, O daughter of Zion. That's referring to the Israelites. And it says in verse 12, The Lord will possess Judah as his portion in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. And, of course, and you go into Ezekiel in the latter chapters, uh, roughly 43 to um, 30, excuse me, yeah, 43 to 48, and it talks about the portion of Judah uh, in around Jerusalem that'll be the the portion for the Lord, which would be where his his temple will be and his glorious throne. We now want to answer a question from a listener, so we'll pick up the series here next time. We have a question from let's see Don in Indian Springs, Don in Indian Springs, and his question is in Revelation 22. So let's go in our Bibles to the last book in the Bible, Revelation chapter 22. In fact, it's the last chapter in the last book. Revelation chapter 22. Let's get set up here for Don's question. It says in Revelation 22, we are told that there will be no need for a sun or a moon. Could you explain what that means? Oh, that's a great question, Don. All right, so here we are in Revelation 22, and let's go down to verse 5. I think that's specifically what Don's probably looking at here. In verse 5 of Revelation 22, it says, And there will no longer be any night, and they will not have need of the light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever. All right, so there's no need for a uh, for the light of the sun, according to Revelation chapter 22, verse 5. So if we were to back away from that, uh, we could build a doctrine around that and say there's no need for a sun. But we don't do that here at Exploring Bible Prophecy. We know how important context, context, context is. We want to read the scriptures around it to see if we can uh, get the other scriptures to build on this truth or tell us perhaps something different. 
So then let's uh, let's go back to Revelation 21, the prior chapter, and let's look at verse 23. And it says, And the city, the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. So down in 22.5, it said God will illumine it. Uh, it talked about no need for a lamp. And verse 23 of, of chapter 21 says the lamb is the lamp. So uh, it seems to be that there's no need for a um, sun or a moon because God and the lamb are there. So it clearly states in eternity, following the millennial kingdom of Christ, so after the thousand years is when we're talking about eternity, there's a thousand-year kingdom then the great white throne judgment of all the unsaved of all time, and then sin and death are thrown into the lake of fire, and we go into perfect eternity. So it says that right at that point in eternity, there will be no need for the sun or the moon in the city, the new Jerusalem, because the Lord God will illumine them. Now, as always, the first thing we do in exploring the Bible is to look at the context of the Scripture, as I said, so looking at the scriptures around this verse, we found that, find that in Revelation 21.1, we go back and read in 21.1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. So we read the initial descriptions of eternity, and we see that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Then in verse 2, we read about the new Jerusalem. So in verse 2, it says, I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. So a new Jerusalem is a physical structure. And the Bible here in the passages right around goes into great detail about the size and dimensions and the makeup of this new Jerusalem, which is a structure that comes down out of heaven to the earth. So Revelation 21 goes into some detail about the new Jerusalem, and you can see that there are three distinct entities described in these verses, the new heaven, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem. So let's, let's consider, Don, the, the sun and the moon in God's plans. In Genesis 1, let's go all the way back to Genesis 1, which was the last time, if you will, that we saw eternity. And this was what perfection was like, what perfection was like and what eternity would have been like at that point if Adam and Eve had not sinned. So during the creation week, the six days of creation, we find that in verse 14, it says, uh, then, the, then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be signs and for seasons and for days and for years. So you can see that it was not only for light, but it was also for calculating time. Verse 15, and let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, and it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. 
There was evening and there was morning the fourth day. So it describes the creation and the purpose of the sun, the moon, and the stars. And then let's go to Jeremiah. Let's get some uh, context here about time, timing. Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter 31. And this is a uh, beautiful passage about God's love for his people, Israel. And he uses the celestial bodies uh, to make his point here. In Jeremiah chapter 31, starting at verse 35 through 37, it says, Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day, and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. Verse 36, If this fixed order departs, from before me, declares the Lord, then the offspring of Israel also will cease for from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured and the foundation of the earth searched out below, then I will also cast off all the offspring of Israel for all that they have done, declares the Lord. So the Lord is basically making the point that even though I am angry with Israel for their disobedience and their hard-headedness, I have never broken my covenant, nor will I ever break my covenant, that I will at some point in the future, which is the millennial kingdom, I will bless Israel. As a matter of fact, I will do away with the sun, the moon, and the stars before I will do away with Israel. That expresses the unbelievable uh, eternal love, if you will. Look at the end of verse 36 the word forever. So the point is, Israel will be before me, this is God speaking, before me forever. Therefore, by association in this passage, the sun, the moon, and the stars will be there forever. So God will never do away with the sun and the moon that he created in perfection in Genesis 1. So in context, when the New Jerusalem is being described in Revelation 22.5 and back in 21.23, in, um, that, that is where there will be no need for the sun uh, for light in the New Jerusalem because the glory of God and Jesus will be the light there in the New Jerusalem. Again, the New Jerusalem is separate and distinct from the earth during eternity. And we uh, will talk about that in other programs about what goes on on the earth. Uh, there is some comments about it in, uh, in the Bible, in Revelation, about what goes on in eternity on the earth. But the point is the earth will still have the sun, the moon, and the stars because there will be people living on the earth uh, separate from the New Jerusalem, just as Adam and Eve lived on the earth uh, at the beginning in Genesis and what eternity would have looked like if they had not sinned. So basically, we go from a sinless, perfect uh, Garden of Eden during creation week, and we see it again in eternity. God just has gone through 7,000 years of dealing with disobedient man, but he comes back to an eternity. Um in Revelation 22. Remember, if we don't talk again, I'll be seeing you in the air. 
Thank you for joining us on today's Exploring Bible Prophecy. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.